0: Welcome to episode 82 of the Martin Bailey Photography Podcast. Today I'm going to answer another listener's question about how I uh, figure out which lenses to buy that I received as a text message. And in fact, I've I've received pretty much the same question from Eric Wykander, or Wykander, and Jared Fain, I hope I'm pronouncing your guys' names properly, forgive me if I'm not. Uh, But I've been uh, asked this question a number of times from others too, and hopefully uh, based on that this will be of some help to a number of people. So first off though, let me paraphrase a little on what Eric and Jared said, and uh, Eric's uh, part of Eric's email, uh, I'm going to get to a little bit of the rest of it at the end of the Episode, but the general question was, what made you decide on the gear that you use, specifically lenses? Similarly, Jared wrote, uh, For a while, I've been meaning to write you with a suggestion for a podcast. Uh, Call it DSLR Lenses 101 or Primer on how to choose your next camera lens. It's easy to superficially understand that image quality and price go hand in hand. However, it's not really easy for an amateur like me to know how much one needs uh, to spend in order to make decent images. Uh, that's uh, then it says photographer aside in parentheses. Jared goes on to say, for a serious amateur, how does one uh, go about determining the cost-to-benefit ratio? Jared does. Um, go on to compare a few lenses uh, from a newspaper ad and asks how much better does the image get in relation to the increase in price when uh, going for the better quality lenses well I'm not going to go into these specific lenses uh, as I don't have any experience with them um, they're Nikon lenses and as most of you know I'm a Canon user generally Um generally, yeah, probably through and through uh, but I don't. I try not to speak on on, on uh, specific things that I don't have direct or first-hand experience with. Um, but what I am going to do, and um, as we'll hear, is you know there is a quality trade-off that I'll talk about, and you know it's marginal in some cases and, and a little larger in others. But we'll generally get into that. And Jared also asks if I know of any website that does uh, like lens comparisons kind of like DP review do for the camera bodies. Well before I go on I'll just say that I don't, uh, I've looked for this sort of site and I've never found one. Um, so if anyone does know of a lens comparison website please do let us know. The MVP forum would be a good place to start um, if not, you can mail me on info at martinbaileyphotography.com if you'd prefer, and I'll pass that on to the other listeners. So, thanks very much to both Jared and Eric for the great questions. Let's get uh, right into it. I've actually already done an episode on um, considerations when buying digital SLR uh, bodies and uh, and that was episode 64. And I've covered tripods, macro gear, extensions tubes, teleconverters and filters and other stuff, uh, lots of other stuff at some point. So I'm going to skip things other than lenses today um eric's question did mention uh, you know or hint on other stuff, but then uh pointed me back to mainly lenses so'm that's what i 'm going to talk about today. What I will do in the future as I mentioned a few weeks ago is an episode on things that i'd hate to be without as uh, kind of a catch-all for the remaining sort of bits and bobs the gear that I use um today and really just as I say would like to be without would not like to be without. Um, but today I'm going to concentrate on the main common theme here, uh, which is what to keep in mind when buying lenses. When I sat down to plan this, the first thing that came to mind was what John Arnold of the Photo Walkthrough podcast mentioned in episode 2 of the Focus Ring uh, podcast. I'm recording this from memory, so it's it's not a word-for-word for, for word, um, statement but basically John said something like most people get all excited on getting a new camera and want to buy some new lenses straight away but if you don't know what you want um, then you know if you don't know what you want to do um, with the lens then hold off until you have a clearer picture so the first thing that I want to say is that I really do totally agree with this it's easy to get caught up in the gear game and I'm probably guilty of giving many of you sort of gear envy, talking about the arsenal of lenses that I've built up over the years as well. The thing is, though, that I really have spent years building up my collection of lenses, and each and every one of them has its own place in my photography workflow. I'll get onto that more in a moment, but the first piece of advice is, to really just reiterating John's, don't just run out and buy a bunch of lenses just because uh, someone else has one and you'd like one too. Now, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying here in agreeing um, with John's statement, or indeed, you know, please don't un- misunderstand um, the original statement. Uh, it's great that you are asking the questions. Just asking the questions, you know, what lenses should I buy? In a way, it's often not just uh, the excitement of an unknowing beginner but it's it's quite more more often than not I would imagine a sign that you're getting to the point where you have a problem that needs fixing, but you don't quite know how to fix it or how to ask the um the questions about how to fix it. Being inquisitive is one of the most important things in learning, so please understand that we're not just sort of suggesting that you simply uh put up with your kit lens until you have some kind of epiphany and know exactly irrefutably what you need but once you start asking the questions hopefully the rest of what I have to say today will be of some help. Now unless you have a truckload of disposable cash to spend which I would think rules out pretty much all of us everything you buy should have a purpose you will have a real problem to solve and adding the lens to your kit will help you to solve that problem to explain, I'm going to first talk about the the first three lenses uh, that I bought when I got my uh, my first SLR body, which was back in 1991, and I think I, I bought the last one in '92 or or the second two in '92. Um, but basically, um, when I first started using an SLR body, I I got that the very first lens was a thirty five to one hundred and five millimeter f four point five to five point six u s m lens, and looking back, this was not a great lens uh, but it was acceptable and this was to me um you know it was my main lens for the next ten years. I used it with my eos uh, one hundred film camera right up to and for a while after. Um, I bought uh, also the digital, my first digital SLR, which was the D30, not to commit, not to be confused with the current uh, 30D. This was actually a um, not not a kit lens in the fact, in as much as I bought it with a body. I bought the the body really cheaply at a discount shop, and I picked up the lens at a local camera shop when, where I was living in Fukushima in northern Japan, but sure, the the quality of the lens itself was pretty much what you'd have expected from a kit lens of that time. I think John actually went on to say something very similar uh, to this actually, but really the kit lens that comes with most consumer bodies at the moment will at the very least do a fine job. While you're getting used to your, you know, you're getting to know your gear And it it'll basically do you fine um, for most applications, um, you know, especially in the first years. For example, I I don't know if this uh, was the case worldwide, um, but in Japan you could buy the twenty D with the seventeen to eighty five millimeter EFS lens as a kit. Uh, You know, I mean that really isn't it doesn't the quality of that lens is not what people would call. Um, you know the derogatory term a kit lens Uh, it's an amazing piece of glass it's very sharp nice range has image stabilization and this this lens knocks the hell out of my first lens and you know and that still saw me okay for 10 years Um, it's got a similar range uh, when you can't you know when you think of the crop factor when you calculate that in so I'd have been very happy with that as my first lens I hear that the 18-55mm to 55 millimeter and pretty much the standard sort of Canon kit lens is not brilliant, but it's probably still as good, if not better, than my first lens. So I, I know that you should still be able to get some great shots with it. The important thing to note here is that back in the film days, unless you were blowing your work up pretty large, it was not that easy to see the shortcomings of cheaper lenses. Once we entered the digital age, and we started to be able to blow our images up to 100% on screen and examine, examine the shot at the pixel level, it became much easier to see if the lens is not quite as good as you thought it was. We're rarely gonna actually create prints that allow us to easily see that much detail. So it's very debatable as to how closely you should expect your, uh, inspect your shots but the fact remains that it's now much easier to do so anyway getting back to my first three lenses the next step in my decision making was based on the fact that i soon realized that the widest focal length i had of 35 mm was not wide enough for some landscape work that i wanted to do so now unlike the first lens but based you know the purchase was based really on nothing more than i needed something to cover everyday shooting I now had a problem to solve, and this was the driving force behind my buying my second lens, which was a 24mm f2.8 prime lens. This lens too was in my camera bank for 10 years until I got my first DSLR. I actually really regretted selling this beautiful lens to put the money towards a new lens, as it was, it was just a really nice piece of glass. This was more luck than judgement though the buying of this lens as I still didn't really know all that much about photography and equipment I just thought that 24mm was going to be wide enough and it was um you know it was an f2.8 so it was wider and a wider aperture than my current lens I just about knew that much but I wasn't really sure at the time what that would really mean to my photography and I just thought it would you know be something that would be cool to have the most important thing though is that it was a nice affordable lens. I think I only paid a few hundred dollars for it uh, at today's uh, exchange rate. The next step was going uh, the other way. I was finding that I wanted to get closer on the you know closer to my subject on the telephoto range than my 105mm was allowing me to get. The next lens I added um, and the last uh, purchase lens purchase for 10 years was a 100 to 300 millimeter f4.5 to 5.6 USM lens. This was really not a great lens at all. It produced very flat, low contrast images that, in hindsight, I'm amazed I was ever really happy with. But that was my skill level at the time, so I stayed with it. It was, you know, it's there, it was there in my kit bag for 10 years now. When I say that that was my skill level I'm not only talking about compositional or artistic skills I'm talking about technical skills. More specifically the ability to look at my results and see what was wrong with them. I would see some shots look great um, in full daylight um, in certain conditions that sort of seem to match the lens. Uh, The results would be fine Um, but then in other on other days, um, in flatter light, I guess, uh, but really in in different light, some light uh, lighting conditions, it would just really give bad um, results. And I didn't know how to sort of correct that. And I, I also I just basically I found that the lens itself kind of blaming my tools to a certain degree uh, because of like I say, I didn't know how to correct or how to find better light. But even just in everyday shooting, I found that the images were very flat and I didn't know uh, that it was the lens or myself. So I just really wasn't ready for anything more than that. So like I say, this was my first um, three lenses for the first 10 years that I was shooting with an SLR body. Now when I ask myself why I was okay with that kit, I have to be honest that to a certain extent, Uh, this contented state could also have been called the bliss that is ignorance. I didn't know any better. Nowadays, you know, that we have um, a number of magazines thrusting the biggest and best uh, down our throats all the time. We have the internet, we can get access to reviews, and there's these ingenious little portable devices that you can just throw in your pocket or hang around your neck and play radio programs on demand from uh, podcasters like me, telling you about my newest uh, lens and how cool it is. With the knowledge of you know what is available comes the temptation to blow all of your income on new kit. But again, when you think about it, when that knowledge wasn't there, I was fine with just these three lenses for 10 years, and only bought new ones when there was a problem to solve. The next lens that I bought uh, was the next time I had a problem to solve after I bought my first DSLR um but due to the 1.6 uh, times crop factor I needed something wider than my 24 mm prime that um you know that I bought 10 years previous just to get anything reasonably wide it I guess yeah what it, well, it was it was 10 years on this was about 5 years ago and there were no EFS lenses specifically designed for digital then and the bodies didn't support them even if there was. So the only choice that I had was a 17 to 35mm F two point eight L lens. And I really was kicking myself because this was right at the time when the sixteen to thirty-five millimeter lens had just been brought out. And I just couldn't convince my other half to to let me to to go the extra few hundred dollars for that one. Um I upgraded it later uh, but uh, we'll get we'll get to that later. Uh this was my first L lens and you know then what happened I realized just how crap my 35mm 35, 35 to 105mm had been. And even more to the point I I realized how crap my 100 to 300mm lens had been. All of a sudden I could see Um, images. Although I was shooting with my D30 still, which was a 3 megapixel DSLR, I could examine um, photos much more closely, as I said earlier, so I was no longer ignorant to the reality that more expensive glass makes better photos. This though doesn't change the fact that I had a whole bunch of decent photos with my old lenses, and some of them are still my favourites today and more to the point the those 10 years although there were a number of years like i went to college over here in japan i didn't have the money to develop film uh, so i had a number of blanks throughout that time but those 10 years were really my sort of learning my real major learning phases i i just spent a lot of time shooting things with the limited kit that i had and it was it was great you know the 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 real sort of catch 22 situation is though that, you know, it brings me back to what John said if you don't know what you want, wait until you do and I'd say I was probably happier when I didn't know uh, what I wanted, anything else that I wanted than I am now when there are so many things uh, that sort of tempt us so there are now though so many ways uh, to know and learn what you want there were back then, but I just wasn't that into it or I wasn't sort of in the environment that thrust them upon me. But really now, you know, there's so many different ways, as I said, the internet, there's magazines, ads everywhere, TV now as well. I, I don't recall seeing um, television commercials the way I do now, thrusting digital SLRs down, down our throats. I just didn't see that uh, 10 years ago. So I'll say again, though, you really should just wait until you have a problem to solve. And this will more than likely be related to focal length uh, to begin with. But then there's a number of options within the focal lengths of the lens that you're considering that must be considered before parting with your hard-earned. And this is where Jared, and I, I would say most of us, are right now it's not so much which lens to buy but whether or not to make um it makes sense to go for the expensive glass or buy something of a similar focal length but much cheaper before we can talk about that let's look at some of the differences between cheaper and more expensive lenses what do you get for that extra money okay so typically the first thing is going to be wider apertures or what uh, or sometimes called brighter lenses the more expensive lenses get generally uh the better engineered they are so you're going to get more dust and weatherproofing etc and it's usually more expensive uh, to get lenses with uh image stabilization or vi- vibration reduction so once you've identified a, a focal length of a range of of the you know the length that you want and you're online or in a store looking at the uh, you know the options you can start to ask yourself if you need an extra stop or two of brightness that a wider lens a wider aperture lens will give you so that you can shoot say for example in darker conditions and still have your autofocus work well or you might want to uh just you know have a little extra bucket that you know the out of focus area of a shot that you get from a wider aperture. Or do you usually shoot uh, with the aperture closed down to f8 or so anyway? You can also ask yourself whether or not your shooting will benefit from image stabilization. Not wanting to sway your decisions at all here though, but I can say for sure that until you've tried image stabilization you might not understand what all the fuss is about. But once you have, most people start wondering how they did without it for so long. Um. You probably should just ignore that uh, last statement. Anyway, uh these things are all questions that you can start to ask yourself with regards to these sort of options. Unfortunately, there's more to think about once you're in the know. And now I know that some uh some are going to some people are going to pull me up on this, but having worked through various lenses over the years and now having some of the best lenses available for comparison. I can tell you that without a doubt, in most cases, you're going to get better image quality with the higher end, i.e. more expensive lenses, um, and that, you know, that's why they're more expensive. Depending on what you're comparing, uh, the, you know, the, different, the, the lenses that you're comparing, the difference in image quality could be anything from marginal to exceptional, but you really do get what you pay for. Generally you'll get crisper images with better contrast and resolution and depth. The reason for this is because the manufacturers often add more elements or elements of a shape that's more expensive to manufacture, which helps the lens to bend the light in a more pleasing way and reduce distortion. Many more expensive lenses have UD elements to reduce refraction and dispersion of the light passing through the lens. UD stands for Ultra Low Dispersion, and these elements are a very close substitute to fluorite lenses, and, and fluorite is very expensive. Some lenses actually do use fluorite, which bumps, uh, bumps the cost up quite considerably. The ones that I can think of offhand are the Canon range of telephotos from the prime uh, telephotos from 300mm and above, um, these are all exceptionally good lenses. The quality is is just uncomparable to um say if we're talking about say the three hundred millimeter f two point eight or the or the four five six hundred f fours it's it's really just not that you know the images are in a different class to those that you will get from um, you know, similar lenses that aren't L glass and they're they're even better than the the three hundred and four millimeter range of the one hundred to four hundred millimeter zoom lens. This is partly because of the fact that you know, a zoom lens is always going to be less quality, um, a lower quality than a prime lens, but also because they're using these fluorite um you know elements within the lens and you know they're generally just um, manufactured uh, engineered in a much better way and and that is why they're extremely expensive you know if these didn't if these lenses didn't produce that good an image, even at like the you know the five five hundred and six six hundred millimeter range, they just wouldn't be that expensive because of this though these really aren't the sort of lenses that we run out and buy very often, or for most of us not at all. In the digital age, and an age where advertising is everywhere, keeping check of temptation is difficult. Um, it's more difficult than ever, and I, I still tell myself every so often that I shot with these same, same te- uh, three lenses for ten years, and I try to hold off on purchases until I really can't uh, reasonably work around uh, not having that particular lens anymore. But uh, you know, now that I've um, told you what you most feared and that is that you know that image quality does get better as you spend more money do you really need to take out a second mortgage to fully equip yourself with top quality lenses of course you don't in addition to continuing to ask yourself questions on your planned additions take stock of where you are in your learning of photography i've heard people gripe in on a number of occasions that they Bought a nice new L lens that cost them a fortune, but the image quality is really not what they expected. And then when you look at their images, you know the lens is fine. The photographer themselves is at fault. For example, some people get sort of all carried away at their first F2.8 aperture lens and shoot a load of shots and then scream that everything is out of focus. Well, really, what's happening is that the person has never really had to focus very precisely before because they've been using f4.5 to 5.6 uh, lenses until now. And these smaller aperture ca- um, lenses have a much deeper depth of field even when used wide open. So a certain amount of focusing error doesn't make that much difference. But when you focus on someone's face with an f2.8 lens, for example, when it, if it's wide open and you're focused on the nose, then the eyes might well be out of focus because they're out of the depth of field. It's amazing how many people focus on the nose, though. Even um, you know, I don't know if it's on purpose or uh, just because they don't think about it. Uh, maybe the camera, if you're using um, the, you know, multiple focus points and you're just on automatic, then the camera's going to automatically try and focus on the closest thing if it has something. And a line or something that it can get some contrast from, so it may well be automatic. But it's amazing um, the amount of people that focus on a nose. But when shooting with a wide open aperture, you have to get the focus on the eyes, and then you know recompose the shot as necessary. That means usually to like you know select a certain focus point or something like that, and then you know use that to actually um, you know to get that little click on the eyes, the little red dot in the finder, um, and then recompose. But you'll find that many people um, as well, even once, even once you get that technique down, you'll find that many people subconsciously rock backwards and forwards as you breathe, if you're standing up, or even sitting down, I guess. If you're hand-holding, you many people will rock backwards and forwards very slightly. And you know, so even if you move um, after focusing before... You release the shutter you're gonna again lose the focus on the eyes, and you're gonna be griping because your new f two point eight lens uh doesn't focus very well. It's not the lens so another problem is um you know i've noticed and this is really not to do um so much with the better quality lenses, but just as another example uh people that buy long lenses um like uh, say up to a three hundred millimeter or sometimes more. And they often complain because their shots are blurred. And, and, you know, this time, rather than a focus error, it's camera shake. But they don't realize that longer focal lengths intensifies any movement in the camera uh, during the exposure. So, you know, they continue to shoot at, say, f8 for for a 60th of a second, despite now shooting uh, with a 300mm lens and maybe even with a crop factor camera. So even with image stabilisation, you're going to get a lot of failures um, when shooting at these shutter speeds at an equivalent of 480mm. Now, I'm not going to go into detail of techniques to overcome these issues today, as I've covered most of this in previous episodes. And after all, they're just examples of problems that people go through when uh, getting used to new gear. The important thing to understand here is that no matter how much money you spend on your equipment, you're only going to be able to use it to the best of your current or near future ability. One of the things that you can try to give um, yourself is a a realistic um, feel of whether or not something is uh, out of your current ability range and that is if you have a rental store that is not too far away from you you can try renting the lens that you are thinking of uh, buying for a few days or a week or so and take it out for a test you know maybe if you're going on a holiday um you know you're going to be away for a few weeks even it might still work out uh financially viable to just rent something just to give it a really good try before you take the plunge and you know this will be kind of throwaway money if you go ahead and buy the lens but if you uh you know if you you might find out that it helps to put your mind at rest before uh the purchase which is in itself worth something i think and or or it could possibly prove to you that you're not yet ready for that uh, particular piece of kit it's not usually all that expensive to rent lenses and whether you decide to buy or not i'm sure you'll, you'll have fun trying out the new lens Make sure that you push yourself technically though while you have it, so that you can really understand where you might need to improve once you get the lens, because it is a learning experience. And as I said earlier, you know, it's gonna test um your current but also near future ability. So once you've identified problems, it doesn't always mean that you should just give up and, and hopefully it will mean that it'll just become a challenge for you and you'll you know you'll go ahead anyway and overcome the difficulties, but knowing them beforehand will make a big difference. One other piece of advice uh, that has been mentioned a number of times in one form or another, and was also brought up, uh, I think, by Jeff Curto in the same Focus Ring podcast that I mentioned earlier, is if you're considering buying a prime lens before you take the, the plunge, you can try taking one of your current lenses if you have one that covers the same focal length and then just sort of tape up the, the focus ring on you know, on the lens to the, foc- uh, the focal length that you are considering buying. Do that for a day or so and you can see how it feels shooting at just that uh, focal length. Of course you're not going to be able to check the additional image quality that prime lenses usually provide. Uh, by doing this but prime lenses also often you know they'll limit people uh, more than they might uh, at first think and forcing yourself to use just that focal length can help you make the decision as to whether or not a particular focal length uh, is you know as a prime lens is for you uh, at all you know you might decide that you it's just really not for you and you prefer the freedom of a zoom if you can't try out lenses in one way or another before you buy it, though, and you have all the information to make a decision on a new focal length or zoom range to enable you to shoot images that you can't uh, currently shoot uh, but would either like to or may even need to shoot for some reason, and the only decision left is whether or not to go for the best lens uh, in that class or uh, you know a cheaper alternative... Then here's my advice: If your budget will stretch to the best glass uh, that you can buy, and you are sort of ambitious, and you you know even if you find that your skill level is not quite there, if you're ambitious and you're able to spend the time to learn any new techniques that might be necessary, um, then go for it. Uh, that's simply that. You know, if you can afford it, then go for it. If, however, you don't want to or you simply can't afford to go for the more expensive glass, then don't sweat that either. Stick with your kit lens or um, you know a few cheaper lenses to cover your work your working range, until your skill level and you know basically demands that you upgrade. The dilemma is is that with all of this information, you'll now know that if you go for the cheap lens at this point, then in a few years' time. Uh, when you find that you do want to upgrade, you might think that you've wasted a lot of uh you know the cost of the cheaper lens. Well, this is only partially true though firstly, you know like a car or a washing machine or any other piece of equipment that we buy for everyday life um as you know as we use it, we're getting something back for our investment. It might be much easier to talk your other half into letting you buy a new washing machine or a new car. Uh, but putting that aside, every time we use these things, we're getting something back on our investment. So if you spend, say, four hundred dollars on a relatively nice but not top of the range zoom lens, and you use it for just two years, say, that's only actually costing you seventeen dollars a month. And I know that that might be a lot for some people, but you know, it. Even if you say, if you if you sell the lens um, at the end of those two years. To put the money towards a newer one, then you know it's going to cost you even less. So I don't think that the cost of your starter lens is a throwaway expense. Selling your old gear and putting the money towards uh, the newer gear is something that you might want to consider. I pretty much always do this. I have actually just upgraded my 16 uh, to 35 millimeter f 2.8 lens uh, for the newer version. Uh, released at the end of March 2007. The reason for the upgrade was because, although I was happy with the the old version, um, the edges of the lens were a little soft and it was generally overly distorted. Um, I have a few great shots of trees uh, that I have never been able to use because the detail just wasn't there around the edges. So, you know, this was really to the point where I've stopped even shooting these sort of shots sometimes, um, just because I, I get disappointed when I see the results. Um, but Canon has redesigned this lens with less distortion and sharper edges. And I, you know, I've done a few test shots and I'm really, really pleased that I sort of switched. But I justified this, probably more to myself than anything else, but I justified the decision um, to make this switch right away with the fact that if I sell my old version now, I'll get more money for it than in a month or two when the second-hand market is flooded with the previous version. I took my old lens to a local store that buys second-hand lenses. It's the same store that I bought the, the 16 to thirty-five mm f two point eight, the original lens from, and they gave me just under a thousand dollars for my old one, and they had the newer version in for just under one thousand five hundred, which means that I got to upgrade for less than five hundred dollars. And I know that that's a lot of money, um, but this is—it's one of those things—the the lens um, performance of this lens. Is really critical for me getting these, uh, the you know, the best quality, um, like fine art photos that I can get. I'd say that in a few months, if I go back um, to the store, then you know, because the market will be flooded, I'll get less for my lens, even though it's in pristine, it was in pristine condition, and probably I'm I'm going to be paying more, like seven hundred or eight hundred, for the same switch. So really, it's just a matter of time. So, you know, I did, like I say, I got such so much for my uh, lens because it was in really just perfect condition. And this is something to bear in mind if you are going to be selling on your lenses or any old equipment uh, to buy new stuff. I always keep the boxes and cases and manuals for my lenses and I I probably use my gear um, pretty pretty much too much with kid gloves most of the time. I'm not too worried about getting things dirty or wet. Um, but when that happens I always wipe them down thoroughly before putting them away and I rarely allow my kit to sort of clang together as I see some people doing um, so the exterior is usually pretty much scratch free the exception is my 100-400mm to f4.5-5.6L to lens which I have given a bit of a beating over the years um, putting it into the stone bag of my tripod while using it as a second body Uh, while shooting wildlife, it's usually, uh, you know, the pace of shooting is so fast that I don't have time to treat it the way I'd like. Um, But I'm going to justify this sloppiness by saying that I really don't think I'll ever be replacing this lens, Um, but I'm going to contradict myself immediately, because if Canon turns around and says that they've got an updated version of that, um that's perhaps a little sharper, then I'd probably consider it. I'd probably say that that goes for any of uh, the gear that I have right now, though. Having gotten to this point, I realised that before we finish, I have to answer Eric's question, which was what made you decide on the gear that you spe- that you use, specifically lenses? So with the number of lenses that I've owned over the years, I'm not going to go into details about my old ones, but here's a quick rundown of my current inventory and you know, with I'll, I'll sort of interject some thoughts on why I bought them in addition to the advice that I've uh, already given. Um, We're coming up to 40 minutes now, I can see on my recording software, so I'm going to make this a little bit quick, uh, but just to, to sort of be thorough in answering the question, um, let's just go through my current arsenal. So I mentioned earlier why I bought the uh, the 17 to 35 mm that's that's an old lens um i upgraded to the 16 to 35 um when i i found that i was just really not happy with the 17 to 35 um i was starting to compare it to the sharpness of the non L lens uh the 17 to 85 and i just found that that lens was so sharp that it, you know i started to get frustrated with the old one and i was sort of i was shooting again pretty similar to for my reason to upgrade the 16 to 35 to the version 2 was that there was just a little softness um in some areas and i i was just uh, generally getting frustrated and was able to sort of sell the old ones on at such a good price that it made it uh, irresistible i have to admit that when i moved to the from the 17 to 35 to the 16 to 35 because that lens had only been out for a few years i had no I didn't dream that Canon would upgrade it, and I thought that that was sort of the bee's knees in that range anyway. Um, all of the reviews were really, really good. But again, as with many things, in hindsight, things that we think are great at the time turn out not to be so great when we have something even better to compare it with. So that was that one. Um, you know, originally, like I said, it was the crop factor that did it. I wanted to, I wanted something wide with a one6 um you know, times crop factor camera, but that might lead you to ask, you know, if I still have a, you know, why do I still have a, a super wide angle zoom now uh, that I'm using as a, a thirty five millimeter full frame digital SLR, especially as I also own a twenty four to hundred and five millimeter f four lens, which goes as wide as my original twenty four millimeter f two point eight uh, f two point eight lens. Well. This is really because my photography has progressed to the point where I still want to be able to shoot really wide vistas. I um I also find that these super wide angle lenses are great for sort of shooting up at the bottom of a tr- from the bottom of a tree or between buildings and sort of using the that uh, really sort of distorted perspective to make it look like the trees or the buildings are sort of falling in on you. Uh, Another thing that I do more now is getting really close to a primary subject as these lenses focus at just under a foot, um, but then I use that very wide angle again to throw everything in sort of a really strange sort of perspective and the rest of the scene just looks pretty wacky. In short, it's another artistic option uh, for making photos. I bought the 100mm F4, uh, 4 f4.5-5.6L to 5.6L lens before my first trip to Hokkaido, and I was hoping to shoot both landscapes and wildlife on that trip, and this was really the lens that enabled me to get serious about wildlife photography. Until then I'd been shooting with the 100-300mm uh, to 300mm lens, and this was really just not a, a very good lens as I said. Newer versions of the 70-300mm to 300 millimeter, um, IS lenses are now great by comparison, I've heard. And if you don't want to splash out for the more expensive 100-400mm or you don't want the uh, additional weight, I believe that these newer lenses are very close in image quality and can be a very valid alternative. I use the uh, 24 to 105 f4 lens as a general catch-all lens. I keep this on my camera um, when I'm just out and about and as it's an L lens it's sharp enough uh, for just about anything that I want to do within the focal uh, length range. I bought the 50mm f1.4 this is not an L lens uh, but a few years ago I picked up a a 50mm f1.4 for the exceptional bokeh that uh, this lens has it's a little soft. It's very soft, actually, when used wide open, uh, but incredibly fast. And out of the out of focus areas are just really sweet. There's the specialty lenses like the 24 mm TSE or tilt shift lens, which I bought um, again for artistic reasons. I, of course, I wanted to um, be able to sort of straighten the, uh, you know, straighten buildings, architecture and also, uh, you know, it's it's very useful in landscape work as well, but I I often take this lens out with me just when I'm sort of going on a shopping trip or something and just use it to throw a totally surreal angle on the world. In fact, I, I shot a reasonable image on the main street in Harajuku here in Tokyo on Saturday uh, under just such uh, conditions, and as I haven't included any images today, I'll throw this one in, just an example. It's image number 1370. That's just a little bit of eye fodder there. Macro lenses are a little bit uh, specialist as well. The uh, MP-E 65mm 1-5x to f2.8 lens, much more so than the 100mm f2.8. I I own both. Uh, The 100mm is relatively inexpensive, but incredibly sharp and doubles as a, a portrait lens as well a, a nice telephoto i can recommend it to anyone thinking of trying macro photography uh, but who's realized that when it says macro in the name of a standard zoom it doesn't really mean macro macro photography though is one of those uh, areas that people can quickly get discouraged in as there's a pretty steep learning curve at the beginning Um you know still once you've gotten over that um. That initial uh, pain you know once you get the hang of things uh, it opens up a whole new world that is not accessible without a macro lens the 70 to 200 mm f2.8 lens was one that i found it very hard to justify for so long i had the range covered and i was managing without the additional uh, stop of aperture but so many people swore by this lens, and you know that it. Re- I just really couldn't keep myself from buying one for any longer. I had um a few old camera bodies, namely the 10D, the 20D, and the 17 to 84, 85 millimeter EF-S lens that would uh, no longer be of any use to me without the 20D. So I decided that it was time to take the plunge and. I've not really looked back at all. I've owned this lens for about nine months now, uh, but I'm using it more than any other lens still. I'd heard so many people uh, call this lens their workhorse, and it really is. It's incredibly bright and sharp, and it's just great image uh, stabilization as well. Uh, It's not a huge zoom range, uh, but to be able to get... Out to uh two hundred millimeters at f two point eight has really opened up a lot of artistic areas to me that I simply didn't have before uh not to mention just using it as a great all round lens finally, the six hundred millimeter f four this behemoth of a lens uh, took a lot of thinking about not only because of the um you know Ridiculous, but I believe justifiably high high price tag. Uh, but because you know the the size and the weight, I I, you know, I was really torn between this and the 500 millimeter f4 as well. The 500 millimeter is a few grand cheaper and a little lighter too. So I was very tempted, but I I figured that if I was going to go that far, uh, that I might as well uh, go with the extra hundred millimeters. To enable me to fill the screen with smaller wildlife or even the you know the red crown cranes that I shoot when they 're a little further away, uh, you know animals um, even big animals don 't have to get very far away from you and they start to get pretty small in the frame unless you 've got uh, a lot of magnification so I was basing my decision on the facts at hand um, i'd shot the Cranes uh, with the one hundred to four hundred millimeter lens at full extent with my ten D and twenty D, uh, which have the crop factor, which means I've been shooting them at the at the maximum of four hundred. That's the equivalent of six hundred and forty milli, uh, millimeters. And the thing is that I know that this still didn't get me as close as I'd like to be sometimes, and I didn't want to go any shorter than that. Plus, I was I would always still have the one hundred to four hundred millimeter. Um, you know as well, uh, to just as, as a backup, but the you know, the fa- the 500 millimeter f4 with say a 1.4 times extender was also an option. And I really, you know, I already owned the um, the extender, and I I, I thought that the combination was still only going to be like 700 you know, millimeters. You know, I mean, some of the, some people there that would like these lenses are, are probably going to be sitting there calling me all of the names under the sun for saying only 700 mm but you know I knew that I wanted to get closer still uh with the 600 mm f4 and the 1.6 uh the, sorry the 1.4 extender I was talking 840 mm and that was just 50 mm less than the 100 to 400 mm with the 1.4 extender at full extent uh, on a crop factor camera but I'd have autofocus, which you lose with the 100 uh, to 400 millimeter and any extender, and it was going to be much, much sharper, just because of the the higher quality uh, 600 millimeter prime and its UD and fluorite um, lenses. And you know, I really the deal was done. I'd sold my soul to the misses on uh, you know the fact that I'd get our savings topped back up um, by a certain point, and the rest is history. So I hope that that's been of some help. Thanks again to Eric and Jared for your great questions. Before we finish, I just wanted to share some of the, some of the kind words that these guides uh, also included in their communication. Uh, in addition to the questions that is, uh, Eric also wrote, I too shoot nature photography, there's just something about getting out there and taking pictures. I've really enjoyed your show so far. Uh, you give education and share knowledge with your audience. This is something that others forget to do. Thank you for taking your time to do these podcasts, although I have no idea where you find the time. Well, to be honest, Eric, uh, you know, I, I don't know how I make the time either. But most of us can make the time to do the things that we enjoy or we feel important, or both. And this podcast to me has become a very important part of my life. And I do enjoy it. I not only have come into contact with a great bunch of people and new listeners uh, through this, but also, you know, it's helped me to structure my own knowledge of photography uh, through the planning that I do each week, uh, you know, to enable me to say the things that I, I, I record. So it's definitely not a one-way relationship. You know, it's, it's fun and it's rewarding. So that's basically why I make the time. Uh, so by the way, Eric has included a link to some of his images on uh, Pbase, and there are some really good shots. So I'll drop a link to uh, I'll drop a link to Eric's photos in the show notes uh, in case you want to take a look for yourself. Jared also went on to say, uh, "I would like to take this opportunity to thank you for a fantastic job with your podcasts and your websites." you stimulated my interest, improving and growing my photography, which resulted in my purchase earlier this year of my first DSLR, a D70S, uh, for which I'm most grateful. I try to post photos weekly on the members' gallery, as I know this will force me to work harder on them. Thanks for these uh, kind words, Eric and Jared. It's uh, very, very much appreciated. Remember that there is now just one week, uh, well less than one week now, at the time of recording uh, for the Simplicity assignment. If you haven't got your entry in yet, please do upload it uh, to the Simplicity album on the mbpgalleries.com website, no later than the end of your Sunday the 15th of April. Voting will start from uh, Monday the 16th for two weeks to find out who the winner of one of my original prints will be, and this is the big one, this is the one that we'll find out who will scoop the amazing LowPro Stealth Reporter D650AW camera bag that Lowpro have been kind enough to offer us as a prize. And with that, I guess, um, wow, that's a lot, I think this is maybe the longest podcast I've ever done, it's just going over 54 minutes. Uh, but with that, I guess all that remains uh, to be said is thanks for listening and have a great week, whatever you have planned. Bye-bye. Photocastnetwork.com Your photography resource in the photosphere photocastnetwork.com